This is the story of my descent into Northern California's dark underbelly and how a little boy grew to maneuver, manipulate, and eventually escape from far beyond those borders. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. hear the voices in my head my middle fingers about to pledge oh can't you see that blue and red some things are better left unsaid welcome to my madness method before we get too deep into this story that's going to be long and detailed and uh, and very interesting, I, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to glorify anything that I'm saying right now. As a matter of fact, you know, in, in many instances, I'm, I'm quite ashamed of the things that I've done, the things that transpired. Uh, there's a, a lot of sorrow in my heart and i'm very apologetic to the people that you know i treated a certain way or made feel a certain way uh for clarity i I do not apologize for decisions people made on their own i didn't force anybody to do anything we're all people here so the decisions that they made for themselves i can't apologize for those so with that being said let's let's recap real quick you know sad kid looking for friends uh, becomes manipulative. Let's see, I, I've picked up a bit of an amphetamine hobby. And then there's this scenario that kind of developed of when we do bad things and the police show up, money and drugs tend to disappear, but yet we get to walk away. Okay. So as we discussed in episode one, um, we would find ourselves in trouble quite frequently. And I had to share with my friends what it is that transpired behind the Walmart with Officer Chops. None of them really believed it. I mean, honestly, who believes it? We're in this little cow town in Central Valley. This this isn't normal behavior. And I knew they didn't believe it. Kind of glad they didn't. I don't even know that I believed it until that night. So we liked to meet at the golf course because at the golf course in town, The entrance was several hundred yards from the main road. It was elevated. We could see who's coming and going. We knew the golf course very well. Uh, If we ever had to split, you know, we knew how to get out of there. So, you know, we're making money. Things are selling, doing quite well, as a matter of fact. And we met up with some folks to, to sell some dope and... In the middle of the process, I mean, naturally, everybody wants to try the product, right? So we've got a mirror. We've got a bunch of the dope on there. Now, mind you, they're standing next to my car. It was a 95 Thunderbird. Real nice. Matter of fact, white, lowered, beautiful, brand new. But the interior was light colored and the dope was like like a mustardy color. But anyway, they're trying it out on this mirror. The guy's checking it out. And wouldn't you know it, the cops come pulling in. Now... Each of the cops that jumped out were not familiar to me. And as a matter of fact, the one that took the lead was this female cop. And she came up and was very insistent that, you know, get away from the car, so on. We're all backing away, panicking a lot. And 
Wouldn't you know it if right behind her, uh, Officer Chops comes pulling in, jumps out of his car. I got this. Tells her to stand down. He comes up to the car. It doesn't matter. None of us are really believing the, the scenario we've found ourselves in. Here we go, thinking it's over before it really got going. So we're all pushed away from the car. And Chops reaches in, and we had covered the mirror face down on the on the interior floor with a towel. Takes the towel, puts it on the roof, takes the mirror, puts it on the roof. And now we're like, oh, I know he can see this. There had to have been an eight ball sitting on that mirror. And wouldn't you know it, if he looks and he goes, everything's clear, puts the mirror back in, puts the towel back in, tells everybody everything's fine, tells these dumb kids to go home. And off they go. And that's when I think everybody kind of looked at me and were like, wait a minute. Uh, did, did, did this really just happen? And as a matter of fact, it had. So the unfortunate reality is to it, though, that everybody, I think, took that wrong, right? There's rules to be followed here. And I think that gave everybody the green light to just absolutely act a fool so we wrap up that deal. I couldn't believe the guy still bought the shit after all that, to be perfectly honest. I figured they'd have bounced and called it good. But they bought it. They left. And then he was on to the second piece of business for the night. Um, two of the guys that we had with us, we'd actually went and rounded up. And uh, they owed us some money. And they hadn't paid. And we were going to scare him a bit to get the money. And my partner decided, nope, we're going to beat these guys for it. And he punched this kid so hard, this guy, Ronnie, he punched him, broke his jaw, and I panicked. I'm like, whoa, like, that's what we're doing? That's the green light that we've reached? And so I knew we had to get out of there because the cops just left. So we put these guys in the car. We drive them out to the river where everybody took turns beating these guys' ass. We stripped their stereo out of the car. I had to take a few shots for GP, general principle, right? I had to maintain appearances. But enough was enough. You know, everybody was satisfied. We took their stereo equipment. That's sufficient. Uh, but what I talked everybody into is, hey, guys, we can't leave these guys here. They're all beat up, dude, broken jaw. We told them they couldn't leave until they did some dope. Because both of their noses were broken, they had to inhale it through a straw like they were drinking a disgusting milkshake. But they got it down. I then talked to the team and said, hey, we can't leave them. Get them in the car. We drove them and dropped them off at the hospital. And on we went about our business. And that began to set a precedent of who we were as a team. Some of these guys, my buddy Steve, he was the guy with the hands. This guy was known for knocking people out. Two punches at most. We all kind of played our roles. And business just rolled like out of control. We were just making all this money. Interestingly, the next night, Officer Chops pulled me over. I knew what it was about. I got out of the car. I left whatever was needed to be on the seat. I left it on the seat. It disappeared. He let me go. So the golf course thing wound up costing me 3500 bucks. But as business grew, our contact the the guy the dude my dude uh he and i weren't able to keep up with the man but he was the connect and he'd disappear to go pick it up and he'd be gone for a day and a half two days and then would show up and 
What the rest of the team didn't know is that I usually had more than enough to get us through that. You know, I wasn't sharing with everybody exactly what I had on me. Uh, you know, you don't tell anybody your next moves, right? They were only allowed to know so much because I needed to control the situation. And I feel like if they knew exactly how much drugs and money we had, this would get out of control real quick. So I had propositioned my dude to talk to his contact and see if I could meet with him. And wouldn't you know it if it was dude's dad out in Hayward, California. And yeah, I'd, I'd say probably a month went by. And finally he said, yeah, you know, my dad said, it's fine. You can come out because I'm constantly going down there. He wants to meet this kid that's moving all this stuff. We made the arrangements. I kind of knew I was going to be gone for a while just because of how long he took. And so we planned a night. We headed out. We went to Hayward. It was raining. So I'm not exactly sure what part of the year this really was, but knowing California, it just wasn't summertime. I know it was raining. It was at night, a little chilly, but we got there and it was like this sideways facing, like the front doors of this triplex faced, not the street, it faced the driveway. And the first one, the first of the triplex was my dude's grandmother. And then the middle one and the, the next one were his dad's. And we go in and I meet these folks and the house is kind of dirty, dirty feeling anyway, from what I was used to. And there was ferrets. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever been in a house with ferrets, but it's not pleasant. But they sat us down. They told us to sit on the couch. I sat on the couch. I kept my mouth shut, just kind of looking around, wondering how the hell did I get here? And they just kept feeding us dope. You know, hey, you want something to drink? Of course I want to drink. I'm drinking beer, smoking weed, doing lines, getting pretty wasted. Uh, it had to have been 24 hours into this whole process. And it was the next night, still awake, still drinking. And dude's dad says, uh, come on, we got to go for a ride. I'm like, oh, we're running to the store. Must be out of beer. So he tells dude to stay at the house. He's just going to take, have me run him. And when we get outside and we're getting in my car, another guy comes from towards the back of the property and gets in the car with us. And now I'm freaking out because I don't know where this dude came from. I don't know what the hell is going on here. But he gets in. I figure, all right, it's just his buddy from the other part of the triplex or whatever the case may be. And we drive to the other side of Hayward and they have me pull over and there's this house and it's right next to some railroad tracks and they have me pull into the driveway, but like as though I'm blocking the whole driveway. And he says, all right, just stay here. And I said, stay here. This ain't the store. What's going on? And the guy in the back seat reaches forward and hands me two guns. And you know, one of these guns is a, you have to pull every time. And the other one is just hold the trigger down until it's empty. And as they're getting out of the car, they say, if anybody pulls up to this house, you shoot. <sighs> Even now, like my heart's racing, just thinking about it. But those are the rules, right? This is what I signed up for. So these guys get out, they go in this house. They had to have been in there 20 minutes could have been 30 seconds for all I know. And eventually they come back out and they get in the car, uneventful, didn't have to shoot anybody. Good for me. We get back in the car. Notably, we did stop by and grab some beer on our way back. 
but when they got back in the car, they handed me just shy of a pound of dope and told me that's for me to keep things rolling. And we went back to the house where dude was. And interestingly, what we had gone there and given them the cash for, they hadn't given us the money for. But dude's dad sat with us and explained, look, we're stepping your game up. This is much better stuff. It's called Rosebud. Now, Rosebud was like a halfway mark between crank and meth. And it was amazing. Okay. But what we had gone to pick up was like an ounce, right? So dude didn't know his dad just gave me a pound of it. So it's sitting in my back seat under the seat. You know, dude's all excited because we have an ounce, right? But they still didn't let us leave for like another 24 hours. Now, my girlfriend's at home. I'm, you know, trying to remain in as much contact with her as possible because she, at this point, didn't really know what was going on. I mean, there was obviously something going on, but she was essentially kept in the dark. But I would say we're 55 hours into this adventure. And they finally tell us that we can go. Now we've been awake, scared, drunk, high for two and a half days, damn near. And now we're driving in the daylight, which was brutal, to be honest. Uh, We're driving back to the Central Valley. And we have everybody rounded up over at Fat Kid's house. Because once again, his parents are traveling. Which was nice, man. Having somebody's parents that were constantly traveling because they're now retired was very convenient. But we get back to Fat Kid's house. We go in and everybody's looking at us like, where the hell you been? Because they've all been without dope. They can't party, you know, because there was always a rule. If if Jay's making money, everybody's making money. If Jay's getting high, everybody's getting high. But if Jay ain't getting high and making money, ain't nobody getting shit, right? So we've had people sitting for two, three days damn near at this point. And everybody's kind of feeling some type of way. But there was like this ongoing joke and we were kind of teased about it for, for quite some time. Because once everybody was rounded up and it was like we called the meeting, and dude pulls the ounce out of his pocket and was like, this is what it's all about. And now, mind you, at this point, my girlfriend's there and has very little idea of what's actually going on. But now this bag comes out and thud, hits the table. Now, mind you, at this time, we had pieced, you know, how much we allowed everybody to see what was going on. So for them to see an ounce was very overwhelming for everybody. And I could see them licking their chops oh God, let's do all this. And, and having to control that and back that up, like, look, you guys, everybody's going to get a piece of this, but the expectation is, is that you at the very least have to cover what you owe for it. Uh, and it's really where we set the team off on a path to essentially self-destruction. But, you know, everybody was given the opportunity to make their own money. Go do your own thing. Don't step on each other's toes. No side busting everybody's people are their people. So if Steve's got guys that he serves, the rest of the team can't serve them, right? You you just can't play that game. So we had some rules we had to lay out because at this point the game was stepped up. I mean, it had always been stepped up, but now they're getting let into a little more of it. So now we've got an ounce of rosebud, a pound in my trunk, and 
it got to the point where the apartment situation with Bub, bless his heart, had had just fallen apart. And I was self-sustainable enough at this point to, you know, afford my own rent. So Bub and I parted ways amicably. Nobody's mad at this point. He had different plans for his life. We've got a scenario that he doesn't want anything to do with, even though he very much enjoyed the partying and everything that came with it. Uh, his life was a little more focused. So we got out of the apartment. We wound up getting a house. And this is where <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. I feel like every time I sit to tell you guys a story, this elevates and grows and grows. But so the house we wind up getting, my buddy Steve, his aunt rented this house and she rented it for a long time. And she was moving out. It was time for her to move on. She was going to move to a different town. And bless her heart, she recommended that we get to rent it. Horrible, horrible move. But four 19-year-old guys moved in that were doing nothing but selling dope and partying too hard. And so we're all living in this house, having a great time, fixing up our cars, having these parties. And one night we had a party that was the largest at the time on record in Manteca, California. We had what they estimated to be about 700 people show up to this party. Now, just to put in perspective, I don't know if anybody has ever footed a bill for any party, but for anyone to assume there was 700 people there, you know, they didn't count it. What we do know is the cops had to park four blocks away to get there. This party was crazy insane. Uh, just to kind of give an idea of how detached we were. So we had put a couch out on the front lawn and charged everybody to go in. And they were just going in the front door and out the back fence and hanging out in the park and lighting bonfires in the park. <laughs> Steve was sitting in the front on the couch with a crossbow. And his reasoning was, well, if they don't pay, they can't trace an arrow. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you're sitting there with the crossbow and everybody knows you have it. So you're not being as sly as you're hoping you are, right? Now we've got a bonfire across the street. Hundreds of people. I don't know if there were 700. I think that's a little bit excessive, but hey, I'll, I'll take the record. This party lasted until probably three in the morning. And that was ultimately the demise of this house. This party led to what became eventually us having to leave, which has an interesting departure story for it. So the only people left in the final day of move out of this house was Steve and I, and we were cleaning up. Like, I, again, you guys, I am the good kid making horrible decisions, right? So I couldn't leave this house destroyed, so I stayed behind to clean. And Steve is there with me, and he's just there because we're getting wasted while we're cleaning. I had to use the restroom. So I'm in the bathroom using the restroom, and I hear Steve yell, Jay, come out. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. I'm taking a shit. Leave me alone. And no, you got to come out. And then I hear, Jason, come out. I was like, ooh, that's a very commanding voice. So I do finish my what I'm doing, and I come out, and there's a cop sitting there. Well, apparently, while I was inside cleaning, Steve was outside, and he had lit a little 
bristle broom on fire and was waving it around like an idiot. And one of the neighbors had called and said we were trying to light the house on fire that, you know, we were going to burn it down because we were leaving, which was so far from the reality, right? Like I'm trying to make sure it's as clean as we can leave it to try to be respectful. And old Steve's outside being a dumbass waving on fire broom. Well, we got that cleared up. Now, Steve, you're an idiot. We're just cleaning up. We're moving out. Cops leave. Steve winds up telling me the story that while I'm in the restroom, he's he had put the broom out and he had come in the house. And that's where he hears, put your hands on your head. And he looks over and there's a cop at floor level in the, from the garage door pointing a gun at him and put your hands on your head. So Steve puts his hands on his head and he says, get on your knees. And so he gets down on his knees with his hands on his head and the cop goes, bear, sit. And Steve like struggles and he's like, uh, left and right. And he, he looks at the cop and goes, I don't know how to bear sit. And the cop goes, I'm talking to my dog. So that's, uh, that's how the story ended with that house. Steve didn't know how to bear sit. Uh, again, still naive little boys trying to, trying to be big kids. Stay tuned for the next episodes where the hijinks get out of control. I am Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method.